earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you driving? At home? Elsewhere with your mobile device? Catching the podcast? Well, today is part four in our series, Faith Fundamentals, Building a Solid Belief System. Part one was the God who reveals himself. Part two was the God who reveals himself as one, yet three. Part three was the God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. And today is the Holy Spirit, a what or a who. And let me remind you, all program podcasts are at faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. And a word from the word is now on Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. Well, again, friends, let's keep our foundational question in the forefront. Why does it matter that we understand the nature of God and as such seek to defend our belief in the doctrine of the Trinity? We also reframe this question. What difference does it make or what's the big deal anyway? Well, I won't be able to cover every aspect of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but in line with our goal, we'll illuminate the Holy Spirit's connection to the triune Godhead and the particular aspects of his personhood and ministry that give us some handles on understanding him and his role in both non-believers and believers' lives. Well, friends, a story is told of a certain guide who lived in the deserts of Arabia who never got lost. He always carried a homing pigeon and attached a fine but strong cord to one of the pigeon's legs. When unsure of which path to take, he flung his pigeon in the air. It strained at the cord to fly in the direction of home. This way, he never failed to reach his destination. Because of his unique practice, word spread, and soon he gained the nickname, The Dove Man. Friends, think about this nickname, The Dove Man. This guide implicitly trusted his dove to lead and guide him in the direction he needed to go. I find it interesting, and you may too, that the visible form the Holy Spirit took during the launching of Jesus' public ministry was the form of a dove. So let's look more closely as Jesus is propelled into public ministry by his baptism, and let's try to visualize this amazing scene Luke paints for us in Luke 3. Several mini-sections in chapter 3 can be strung together to connect the vivid details. First, verses 2 and 3. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Second, verses 15 through 18, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, friends, in between these first two mini-sections, we learn the crowd included tax collectors, soldiers, and some Pharisees and Sadducees. This is confirmed in Matthew chapter 3. And it's likely that John the Baptist's words in Luke 3, 7 and 8 were to scold these Pharisees and Sadducees when he yelled, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This reminds me of the woe in Matthew twenty three thirty three. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. And third, verses 21 and 22, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Friends, I love Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. As a doctor, he's highly observant and detail-oriented and provides details other gospel writers don't. Notice Luke said, The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. What a spectacular visual sight this must have been, with the mixed crowd witnessing the unique Son of God in the company of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Friends, did you catch that visual of the triune Godhead? Luke records the conversation God the Father had with his Son Jesus, reinforcing what we've been saying over the past few programs. We've seen how the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is a subject-object relationship. In other words, a present tense, simultaneous, and ongoing relationship. Here in Luke 3.22, it's brought up again. Let me just recast this scene. God the Father's voice comes out of heaven. God the Son, Jesus, is being baptized in the midst of the crowd. And God the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. Friends, notice how the distinctiveness or individual identity of each member of the Godhead is preserved. Notice their simultaneous participation in this key event. And let's also think back to how the Holy Spirit's connection to the life and ministry of Jesus unfolds. In Luke chapter 1, verses 29 through 35, Mary responds to the angel's awesome announcement that she'll give birth to God's Messiah. And she's troubled. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord 
Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary asks, How will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Did you catch that, friends? The three members of the triune Godhead operating together simultaneously? Verse 35 mentions the Holy Spirit, the Most High, and the Son of God coexisting and cooperating together in the plan of redemption. So, as Jesus embarks on his public ministry, he is baptized in a grand public display of the triune Godhead working together, and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the bodily form of a dove. Friends, Luke gives us an early hint that Jesus would come to implicitly trust the Holy Spirit to lead him and guide him in the direction he needed to go. In a sense, we could I think we could nickname Jesus the Dove Man. No disrespect intended. Let me ask you, friends, to the brothers listening, have you ever thought of yourself as a Dove Man? And you sisters, have you ever thought of yourself as a dove woman? Imagine waking up each day and thinking, will I be a DP today? A dove person? In other words, will I live today sensitive to the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit? Don't be so quick to answer yes, friends, because being a dove person suggests that you, that I, that we intend to implicitly trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in the direction we need to go. Implicitly, that means without reservation, unquestionably, absolutely. Friends, this carries with it the willingness to surrender absolutely, and it also means humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. As 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Paul also said, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 25. Well, here's a good place to ask, So what or who is this Holy Spirit? And why today's title is The Holy Spirit, a what or a who. In Christian theology, discussions about the Holy Spirit generally fall under the heading The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. In the statement of faith for the church I'm affiliated with, here are two declarations about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the one and only God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is, in the unity of the eternal Godhead, one with the Father and with the Son. He convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He testifies of and glorifies Jesus, dwelling in the hearts of believers. He opens their understanding that they may understand the scriptures and becomes to the humbled and surrendered heart the guide, comforter, support, and sanctifier. One with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit can never disown or dishonor our once crucified and now risen and glorified Redeemer. 
Well, friends, while I won't be able to cover every aspect of the Holy Spirit's work, His work will naturally unfold in upcoming installments that build on additional fundamentals of our faith. So for now, in keeping with my goal, let's continue field-testing the Scriptures for what they say about the Holy Spirit. And friends, my hope is I'll whet your appetite and prompt you to search the scriptures like the Apostle Paul commended the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Our journey will begin by observing the Hebrew revelation in our Old Testament where, if you recall, I said that the triune nature of God is hinted at. From the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, there are a host of references to the personhood and works of the Holy Spirit. These clamor for our attention and force us to conclude that the Holy Spirit isn't merely a force or impersonal. In fact, friends, I contend that at a minimum, the following five things are true about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is God and an equal member of the triune Godhead. Second, the Holy Spirit is a person with his own distinct personhood and will and decision-making abilities like the Father and the Son. Third, the Holy Spirit lives or dwells in believers in Christ and teaches, guides, and convicts us. Fourth, the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And fifth, the Holy Spirit desires to be more than just resident in us. He desires to be president and preside over our lives, ruling in us. Well, part of field testing the scriptures is challenging or correcting false notions abounding out there, either within the so-called Christian realm or outside it from other religious systems. So here's a brief collection of understandings of the Holy Spirit across the board that stray from the biblical record. The Holy Spirit, small h, small s, is not God, but rather an invisible active force from God. The Holy Spirit, small h, small s, is different from the Holy Ghost, cap h, cap s. The Holy Spirit is not God, but is an influence or electricity-like emanation from God or light of Christ. The Holy Spirit may be defined as an impersonal power. The Holy Spirit is the law of God in action, the executive power of both Father and Son, a definite thought in the mind of man. The Holy Spirit is sometimes considered a psychic force. Man is divine and can experience psychic phenomena such as contacting unearthly beings. The Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as a kind of divine energy. No, the Holy Spirit, small h, small s, is not a person and is not part of a trinity. The Holy Spirit is God's active force that he uses to accomplish his will. It is not equal to God, but is always at his disposal and subordinate to him. Well, friends, there you have it. A cross-section from both aberrant Christian circles and several religions around the world. Interestingly, one group who says the Holy Spirit is not a person, but an it, has in their own translation of Isaiah 63.10, but they, Israel, rebelled and made his Holy Spirit feel hurt. Standard translations say, 
grieved his Holy Spirit. Now, kindly help me figure that out. Can an impersonal force like electricity or gravity feel hurt? Feel pain? The New Testament parallel to Isaiah 63.10 is Ephesians 4.30, where Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And the Greek word Paul uses for grieve means to distress, to cause pain, vex. It actually means to experience deep emotional pain or sadness. It's an intensified word and is even used to refer to the pain of childbirth. This agrees fully with Isaiah 63.10's use of grieve, which in Hebrew means to hurt, to cause pain, and vex. Well, let's tour some other key Old and New Testament passages that suggest or declare outrightly that the Holy Spirit has personhood, a mind and intellect, a will and decision-making abilities, speaks, leads, teaches, and sends, is distinct from God the Father and God the Son, and is a self-conscious personality. Genesis 1-2. Right from the start, the Holy Spirit is pictured as hovering, brooding over the creation as it was coming to life by God. This word is rich and vibrant and also means fluttering and shaking. The word picture here is a vulture hovering over its young in the nest. In Deuteronomy 32.11, it's used again, but this time for God's care over Israel. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft. Here we see the tender-hearted care of a mother bird applied to God himself. And in Genesis 1-2, it's applied to the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 48, between verses 12 and 17, a conversation continues which began in chapter 45 with God speaking. We find in verse 12, God saying, I am the first and I am the last. Then in verse 16, we read, and now Yahweh Adonai, or the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Notice the three entities here, the Lord God, His Spirit, and the Me. Here the Spirit is co-sending. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 begin, The Spirit of Yahweh Adonai, the Lord God, is on me. This is the very portion that Jesus quotes in the synagogue on the Sabbath day when the scroll was handed to him. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then Jesus quotes the entire section of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Let's embellish a little more on Isaiah 63, 10 through 12. Again, God is talking about his chosen people, the Israelites. Verse 10 begins, Yet they, Israel, rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Then at the tail end of verse 11, going into verse 12, we read, Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power? 
On many occasions, arm or the arm of the Lord indicates the messianic suffering servant revealed to us in the four servant songs of Isaiah, the most prominent being Isaiah 53. So, friends, here in Isaiah 63, there's a veiled reference to the triune Godhead. We see pictured here the Lord God, the Holy Spirit, and the arm of power, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah, or as we know him, Jesus Christ. As we progress on our journey, remember that in the Hebrew Christian scriptures, the personhood of the Holy Spirit is revealed in numerous ways. We've already mentioned Luke 1, verses 21 and 22, Jesus' baptismal scene, where each member of the triune Godhood is present simultaneously and represented distinctively. The distinct wills of each member of the triune Godhead speak volumes to their individual identity and individual decision-making capacities. Three significant verses will bring this out. The Garden of Gethsemane prayer of Jesus in Matthew 26. The two statements about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus' prayer in the garden includes these often quoted words, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. His prayer goes on, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then in 1 Corinthians 12:11 regarding spiritual gifts we read all these the gifts are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he wills or determines similarly in Hebrews 2:4 we read this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Friends, did you catch that? All three members of the triune Godhood are here, first announced by the Lord. In other words, Jesus. God testified to it by signs, and then by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to the Holy Spirit's will. And let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. In 12.4 we read, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. So let's continue field testing the scriptures by looking at Acts. In Acts 5, there's the incident with Ananias and Sapphira, where they hold back some profits from the sale of land, which was supposed to go to the needy. In verses 3 and 4, Peter challenges them. Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept some of the money? Then he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. Then in Acts 13, there's Saul, Barnabas, some prophets and teachers in Antioch, worshiping, fasting, and praying. And we read, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. 
Two verses later we read, The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia. Notice, friends, the distinctive identity and workings of the Holy Spirit. The phrase, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, includes a Greek verb that means to call or summon to oneself. So the Holy Spirit has self-identity and distinction of personhood. We could properly say that God the Father has an ego, God the Son has an ego, and God the Holy Spirit has an ego, to use the Greek term for self or the I of personhood. John chapters 14 through 16 and Revelation chapters 1 through 3 also add fuel to the Holy Spirit's personhood and works. So we're forced to conclude where we began. There are three persons, but one God. This may seem impossible to us, yet it's quietly accepted and assumed by Jesus' disciples and the authors of the New Testament. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. I hope this study helps us better understand some fundamentals about the Holy Spirit. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word support team and ask me for the details. Thanks to you who have helped keep this program on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.